was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so glad to welcome my guest, the amazing dancer, choreographer, actor, and producer, Lawrence Luritz. In the world of ballet and opera, he danced with the Paris Opera, the Chicago Ballet, the Los Angeles Music Center Opera, Germany's Hamburg Ballet, the Bot Door Dance Company in Israel, and with choreographers such as Robert Joffrey, Alvin Ailey, George Balanchine, Ruth Page, Lee Theodore, Frederick Ashton, and more. His own company, Dance Celebration, received a special commendation from the President of the United States. On Broadway, he danced in Fontaine and Nerea on Broadway, and the Herschel Bernardi-led Fiddler on the Roof. He also performed in Can Can and State Fair at the Muni, and on screen in Legs with Gwen Verdon, Annie, Across the Universe, Easy Money, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Sex and the City, Saturday Night Live, The Con is On, and more. As a fitness guru, he released his own exercise video, Total Stretch, and was the choreographer for many bodybuilding stars, including the Arnold Schwarzenegger NBC television special. He is also the producer and choreographer of the off-Broadway sensation Boobs the Musical, and produced TV's Day of Compassion in order to raise awareness about AIDS across the country. And now, here's Lawrence Lurich. How did you first get interested in theater and in dance? Oh lord, if I could go like all the way back in my mind, I remember walking to school one day. My school was probably three blocks from my house. And I just remember bending over to pick up a piece of grass and I held up the piece of grass and just mentally I felt, I thought someday you're gonna do something that helps people like a priest. I mean, I'm like eight years old or something, seven years old but I'm gonna be on stage and I'm gonna go all over the world. And I just had that thought and then I just always sort of knew it. Um, my brother, Lyndall and my sister, Linda, um, I'm the youngest, I have three older siblings and they took dance classes and they had their dance costumes and their tap shoes and everything. And I used to get up behind them when they were like rehearsing at home and imitate them. And I would do all the positions perfectly, like the ballet positions. I have pictures of me when I was like eight doing you know, these different ballet positions. It's hilarious. And I kept asking um, my mom if I could take classes too. And she said, no, oh. because they only last for a couple of years. And so my mother says, oh, you'll just, you'll quit like they will. Yeah. I said, no, I won't, no, I won't. <laughs> so anyway, um, when I got to high school, I started having some lower back problems and we went to see the doctor and the 
doctor says, you know, this could like become a lot worse. Why don't my mother said, is there something um, we can do? And the doctor says, yes, maybe you can put them into some light dance classes for bingo. So she said, what do you suggest? And he said, well, try ballroom. So my mother signed me up. I was in ballroom dance classes uh, a week or two later. And it just wasn't a, doing it for me. You know, I was a kid. But I saw people running around with tap shoes. Oh. Now, I also loved watching Gene Kelly movies because I he looked like a regular guy, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden, wow, he can dance too. And um, so... I segue myself from ballroom into tap dancing pronto and it started from there. And was it something you wanted to do as a career or was it sort of a passion back then? It's a good question. I had already seen my first musical. I saw a show at the St. Louis Muni and it was a musical Good News. And this production starred Peter Palmer who was a little Abner on Broadway and Karen Morrow and Nancy Dussault and all of these fantastic Broadway stars. And it was so exciting. It's like, oh my God, I just love this. So I always had like in, my, in the back of my mind, this is what I want to do. So also that first year in high school when I started taking dance classes, I um, auditioned uh, for the freshman play. They had a one act play festival and each each class, uh, freshmen, sophomore, junior, and seniors, they all presented a one-act play and they had a contest, the best play and the best actor and the best actress. I really wasn't going to audition for it, but my best friend wanted to go and audition and was nervous that he said, will you come with me after, um, after class to audition? And I said, sure. So I went and he auditioned and then the director like pointed at me and she said, well, are you here to audition? And I said, no. And she said, well, I'd like for you to. Oh. So I read the part and I got the job. <laughs> well, not a job in high school, but I got hired to be in the show. And um, the play was called Weenies on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't um, Shakespeare, let's yeah. say, but it was a very funny, cute play. And there's an eating scene and I was like gorging myself through the whole show and the audience was screaming, laughing. And I tied for best actor with the senior. So, and if the energy on being on stage and hearing all that laughter, it was just magical. So like all these pieces and parts started coming together about being acting, being on stage, the dancing. And then after my first year of tap dancing, I read in our lo local newspaper that the St. Louis Muni was having auditions for uh, the world premiere presentation uh, of the musical State Fair, which was a film by, of course, by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And they were going to present it on stage for the first time. So I grabbed my little tap shoes and <laughs> I went to this audition and it had a zillion kids there. It had to have 
like three to 500 kids there auditioning oh. for the same parts. And they had dancing parts for maybe like eight or 10 kids in the children's chorus. And we're like tap dancing at the fair and stuff in the musical numbers. But I got chosen again. And all I could think of was like, I barely know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, because I'd only been studying for a year. I was so nervous. But man, those people were so nice to me. And it's at the Muni, you usually rehearse a show. Uh, I don't know what they do now, but at, back then it was usually just a little over a week, maybe like a week and a half. And they gave three weeks of rehearsal to the show because it was so important. And James Hammerstein, Oscar Hammerstein's son came and directed it. Uh, Richard Rogers came and also kind of stuck his finger into the directing as well. And then I would hear him off in the side rehearsal stage and he'd be conducting the orchestra. I mean, he was everywhere. He's fantastic. And both uh, Mr. Hammerstein and Mr. Rogers, I called them Mr. because I was a kid. Uh, which is so fantastic to me. I have a picture here, if you're in my apartment, of, of Richard Rogers that he signed for Larry. Oh, <laughs> Great job, yeah. Richard Rogers. I, I mean, I, those are the things you treasure. Um, and we played for two weeks. It was magical. Um, the During the three-week rehearsal, we had like an assistant choreographer teach us everything and we're doing. And they said, well, the last week i think it was the last week of rehearsals the real choreographer is actually going to show up he's making a movie with barbara streisand it's like okay so finally this choreographer comes up and they put name tags on all of us you know and mine said larry laritz and this really tall young guy comes up to me he says hi i'm the choreographer he looks down at my name tag and he says Larry Loritz, is that your real name? And I looked way up at him and said, yeah, is Tommy Toon yours? <laughs> and he cracked up, cracked up laughing. And I said, well, why are you laughing? And he says, well, our, our names are euphonious. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he says, they rhyme their musical. I said, oh, I've known him ever since then. And the rest of the other people were all uh, Broadway regulars. Ron Huseman, who had appeared on Broadway and All-American and Tenderloin and was a Tony nominee. He also returned in the musical Irene with Debbie Reynolds. He was a terrific person. He gave me lots of advice as well as um, Jack Good, who was the final Horace Vandergilder opposite Ethel Merman in the original run of Hello, Dolly. I mean, I just, I, I, was, you know, I was a little kid and I grew up in a town of 10,000 people. So to experience all these people from Hollywood and Broadway, and I was just overwhelmed. It's like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. You would later become the, the poster boy for Guys Dance 2 and Tough Guys Dance 2. But how did your... um the people around you feel like <laughs> My parents are very cool. My mother loved dancing. So she was very encouraging. My father was a regular guy. He uh, owned um, a store that was, it was half of a 
liquor store and half of a hunting and fishing supply store. And it was very popular. And he owned a construction company. They did excavating, you know, where they dig the foundations for homes and buildings. And so far removed. And he was totally supportive to me. It was like, whatever makes you happy. So I was very, very fortunate in that way. Of course, in school, I kind of like hit all of it, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't didn't want to be beaten up at school. But um, after state fair, the kids kind of like sort of liked it a little bit. So it worked out. Yeah, yeah. So when did your sort of main dance interest switch from tap to ballet, which was where you started professionally? Well, I call myself the reluctant ballet dancer <laughs> because I really was just interested in doing musical theater. Oh. So a after that first uh, foray into musicals at the Muni, um, the next summer I did a season of summer stock. Um, it was also locally in the area. And we did um, Carnival and My, My Fair Lady. And I also acted in a lot of plays they did in another theater uh, on the campus there. And then I got an adult job because <laughs> I was 16 by then, over 16. And um, the Ginny Wiley Summer Music Theater. And they had a full season of Carousel, The Music Man, uh, Once Upon a Mattress, an outdoor drama called Ginny Wiley. And they did the after-Broadway premiere of the musical The Grass Harp, which was a Broadway flop, but an incredible gorgeous score. I'm sure you've listened to it many times. Also with Karen Morrow. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, flew to an audition for that uh, in North Carolina. They're auditioning for a bunch of okay. musical theaters, basically in the South. And they were giving the dance combinations. The last one was the ballet. And I really didn't know anything about ballet. But I was watching like people, they're doing grand jetés, big jumps, right? So they're going across the floor and I thought, how, you know, if I stand at the back of the line, I bet I could do that. So I did and I got three jobs. Wow. wow. So one was at another musical theater and the other one was uh, The Lost Colony. It's off the coast, I think South Carolina or North Carolina. And Joe Layton was the director of that. But the Ginny Wiley job sounded more interesting to me. They're bringing Christine Johnson, who is the original Nettie in Carousel on Broadway. And Richard Rogers wrote the song, You'll Never Walk Alone for her. And she was going to be in her carousel and whatever. But to get to the point, after I signed the contract, it was like, I don't know how to dance ballet. And they're doing the act, original Agnes DeMille choreography. Oh. They're re-staging it. It's like, oh, I'm in trouble. So I called up Ron Huseman, who had given me his phone number. He was working on Broadway in some show at the time. And I said, you know, I got these, these three opportunities and blah, blah, blah. Which one do you think I should choose? And he advised me to take the one that I chose. So... 
I went to a friend of mine, um, he lived in my hometown and I knew that he took ballet lessons. So I said, you know, I'd explain to him and it's like, I still had like three, three months before the summer started my contract. And I said, I need to learn how to do ballet or, you know, get started. So he says, oh yeah. He said, there's a men's class that Michael Sims teaches. And he was one of the finest teachers in St. Louis and he taught the world. He was, uh, he was an outstanding teacher. And so I went, the, I think the classes were on Thursdays and I went with my friend and we both took class and I came out after class and the teacher followed me out of class and he said, hello, he said, my name's Michael Sims. And I said, well, I'm Larry Loretz. He said, it's so nice to meet you. He says, I hope you enjoyed my class. And I said, oh, I did. It was, it was so much fun. And he said, who have you been studying with? And I said, this was my first class. And he says, you mean your first class with me? I said, no, I've never taken a ballet class. And he just kind of looked at me stunned. And then he said, why, um, why were you doing double pirouettes with everybody else? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. I thought I was being scolded. And he said, really? How'd you like a scholarship? So I learned really quickly and my wow. body was just natural for ballet. I was very, very lucky. Wow. Uh, I have really, really good turnout and really high extensions. And that all happened within like the first year of studying ballet. But anyway, I went off and did summer stock and had a wonderful summer. And right before I came back to New York, I got a letter in the mail from Michael Sims saying, I'd like to, for you to take uh, a full course uh, with me of uh, ballet classes and jazz. It says, I'll, I'd like to offer you a scholarship. So I thought, oh, great, you know, I'll get some good dance training. So I went back and I progressed really quickly that year, that year, and never really thinking about ballet, like being a career or anything that I really wanted to do. Um, I just thought it was like one more dance avenue that I had. And so he was crafty. I have to say, looking back, he got me involved with the St. Louis Dance Theater, which was a very good local dance company there. And the major teachers in St. Louis would each choreograph a ballet for the spring season. So I danced a ballet that he choreographed. Another teacher gobbled me up to be in a ballet. I remember it was called Love Set and I was the tennis instructor and the girl and I who were going to be playing tennis all in ballet together rode in on a, uh, a two-person bicycle. I, I can't, can't think of the right word. And that was really fun. I have, I still have a great picture of me like flying through the air doing an awesome belay. So after that, though, you know, this is kind of fun. Yeah. So then the next step, he said, well, how'd you like to go to New York and study for the summer? He says, you really had something special. He said, I know David Howard at the Harkness Ballet. So he says, would you like to try it? And I said, yes. So he called up David Howard and David Howard said, could you send me photographs of Lawrence? So Michael Sims takes pictures of me and I have 
split ponche and developé and take a position over my head and, you know, like flat turned out. And um, I said, yeah, send them. <laughs> so I went for the summer. It was just incredible experience. I mean, I met friends there that I had for all of my life. I met a, a girl from Chicago and I was from the St. Louis area named Roxanne Messina. And she had danced for Ruth Page in Chicago and the Nutcracker, I was very impressed. And my first male friend, um, his locker was next to me in the locker room. And David Howard, the teacher, would kind of like harass a little bit in class. So we'd love to make fun of him in the locker room. And the guy next to me and I were always laughing. And his name was Buddy Swayze who became Patrick Swayze, the movie star. And he was my first friend in New York. So, and then that summer, like we all stayed in a hotel and I met uh, dancers who all went out and had these great careers and I've known them all in my life. So it was a fantastic beginning. And then, um, they had something called, they had the Harkness Ballet, but they had something called like the junior company, the youth dancers. Mm -hmm. They choreographed this one ballet that I was used in. I really enjoyed it. And, but at the same time, the Harkness Ballet was presenting their first big season in New York. And Mrs. Harkness, also from St. Louis, and she was the standard oil millionaires. She was the only person who sing, single-handedly financed a major ballet company in the country by herself. So and anyway, she was doing the, this big season in New York and she bought a theater from across, across the street from Lincoln Center. And she did it and she spent millions and millions and millions of dollars making this theater gorgeous. And she had the ceilings painted like the Sistine Chapel. And I mean, nothing was left undone. Clyde Barnes came to opening night and panned the company. And he did this not because it, it wasn't good. He did it because there were two Harkness ballets, one with all these uh, fantastic dancers. And on a whim, Mrs. Harkness just decided to end it and start a second one. So this was the second company. So Clyde Barnes was still PO'd about all these first company dancers being fired. So he just panned the, the company. So she got irritated and just disbanded the whole company again. So suddenly our, we're paid to be at school. Yeah. We had a little stipend. So it's like, like everything was just suddenly falling apart. And it's like uh, the writing is on the wall. So I went on an audition to School of American Ballet, which is the school for the New York City Ballet. I never forget the audition, it was fantastic. It was a room full of kids. But um, when it was all said and done, they chose me and a little girl. So I thought, okay, well, what am I gonna do now? Cause in between time. So I auditioned for the Joffrey Ballet School and um, they gave me a scholarship also. So I was on, I was in the, the advanced class at the Joffrey Ballet School and Mr. Joffrey walked in one day and he says, 
can I call me over? He says, can I talk to you? And he, he said, I said, yes. And he said, I'm doing um, a production, which we're very proud of, of Petrushka starring Rudolf Nureyev for two weeks at the city center. And there's a part in it that I think you would be perfect for. Would you like to do that? It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> so I did. And he personally taught me the choreography himself. Um, it was fantastic. And that was like the highlight of my time at the Joffrey Ballet. And then my time started at, at um, School of American Ballet. And that whole time for me there was just magical. Yeah. I do want to ask how having this background in, in the theater and interest in the theater sort of shaped your ballet technique if you think that it did? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, ballet for me, it was a little bit rigid for me coming from musical theater. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved the, the perfection aspect of it, um, the dedication. I loved the music, but it was kind of in a box for me, but I, I really loved performing in ballet ballet companies and um, when I danced with the Hamburg Ballet um, which was I was a city ballet and they're in their um, Mr. Valentino invited me to come and take company class and that means that they're looking at you to join the company so it's a really big deal and by then I'd become fr friends with several of the company dancers mainly Violet Verity who was a big ballerina there at the time and she sort of like was my guardian. She watched after me. So I had been in company class for about a month and it looked like I was joining the company. And Violette Verdi was there, um, is uh, the same building as the company, the New York State Theater, it was called back then. And I still call it that. Um, anyway, she came up to me, she says, I just got you a contract to dance in the Harvard Ballet. Are you interested? And I had no idea where Hamburg was. <laughs> it's, it starts in two weeks. I said, well, can I let you know tomorrow? She says, yes, but you have to let me know right away. In the meantime, my crazy life, I got hired to dance with the Paris Opera <laughs> at the um, Metropolitan Opera and the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And it's within this two weeks. So I was able, it was only like a couple of performances of this opera. This is a marriage of Figaro. So I did like two in New York and I was able to like fit it in with, you know, my whole school schedule. And then I left town for a weekend and uh, did it down at Kennedy Center. I told Viola yes, that I would, that I would go to Hamburg. I had it closed on a Sunday afternoon after the matinee. I came back to New York on the train. On Monday, Sunday night, I started packing, calling up my friends, saying, take anything you want. I'm giving everything away. I'm moving to Germany. And I had Monday to clean up my entire life. And I was on, a, on an airplane to Germany uh, Tuesday morning. So 
the, the story is anyway, I had to get you there really fast is um, within the first week of there, they asked me to dance uh, with in an opera there. And the Hamburg Ballet was an entity uh, to itself. And the opera house uh, also had like a small group of dancers that they weren't at the same technical level as the Hamburg Ballet. So they would invite the dancers to come and join for operas that were a little bit more difficult. So they're doing the, uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor. And in the opera, they have this um, large German male singer singing uh, Stuck Stuck, I think it is in German, I could be wrong. It's like stick, because we were bumblebees and we we're running behind him um, with arrows, the arrows of love, I guess. So I had like a half hour rehearsal and the person who was rehearsing to me, he says, oh, you're funny, you should, you should be in front. So they put me in front and every time he'd sing Stuck Stuck, I would stick him with the arrow, but I would stick him in the butt. And the audience was laughing. And, you know, being new in a company, I was like a little bit embarrassed that I was sticking out. So afterwards, John Newmeyer, the uh, renowned choreographer and director of the company came back to me and he says, oh my God, he said, you were so hilarious. He said, did you hear the audience out there? They're screaming with laughter. And I'm like smiling. It's like, yeah, I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> so, you know, that's my musical theater experience. It's like I just couldn't hide who I was. Yeah. So, so I'd love I to help myself. <laughs> so I'd love to go back a little bit and ask you about what it was like to be in a rehearsal with George Balanchine, be studying with him. Well, in the school, you know, we really didn't study with him. Um, in company class, uh, he was amazing. Uh, the structure of the class could be kind of strange sometimes because you have um, like, like a strict way that a class is structured, starting maybe with a little tiny bit of stretching, but plies and tendus and all these different things. And you build up to Ronda Jams, and at the end, you do Grand Bottoms, which are the big kicks. And since he'd come in and he'd start with Grand Bama, it was like turn, a normal ballet dancer. It's kind of like kind of crazy. So you had to be warmed up before he got there. Yeah. And they have a short, basically kind of a short little class. It only lasted like maybe a half an hour because I think he looked at it as his chance to choreograph and get creative with his dancers. So we would go to the center where you actually dance after warming up the bar and he would just choreograph on us. And I learned some things that I still remember that I've never seen done anywhere else in my life. And it was a fantastic experience. Uh, also, when I was at the school, Jerome Robbins would always come in and watch my class and he befriended me and would always talk to me. So. It laid a lot of, uh, of seeds for later on in my career. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to ask about another another great choreographer who you worked with, which was Alvin Ailey. Yeah, Alvin was something else. I loved him. I got hired as a, a, a dancer, like a guest dancer for the summer for a company called Bot 
outdoor dance company. I have to be careful pronouncing that because Americans think you're saying the backdoor dance company. <laughs> no, bot door. And the co-founder was the Baroness Bathsheba de Rothschild. Wow. And yes, it's that family. And very, very wealthy woman. She's very charming. She wore these little house dresses where you think she was like some next door neighbor, very unpretentious. Um, I can't say the same for the director of the company. <laughs> um, I won't mention her name, but they used to nickname her the Wicked Witch of Tel Aviv. <laughs> and she lived up to her name. That woman was evil. But the main reason I went there for the summer is I knew that Alvin Ailey was coming uh, to teach classes and choreograph. And oh my God, we set it off so much because I think there's only one other American there. And Alvin just like, was so happy I was there and we became friends and he used to try to get me in trouble, like drag me out to, to clubs at night and stuff. And it's like, oh, Al uh, Alvin, I can't do that all the time. I can't dance the next day. <laughs> he was kind of wild. And um, I just loved him. And I would see him back in New York. And in 1987, the American Guild of Musical Artists did the 50th anniversary gala at Lincoln Center, the 50th anniversary celebration gala at Lincoln Center. And it was a huge three hour show. And they invited every professional ballet company and modern dance company uh, in America to perform a short piece. And we knew at the time that it would never happen again and it never has. But everybody was there. New York City Ballet performed actually twice. Uh, Alvin Ailey, American Ballet Theater, the Joffrey Ballet, the San Francisco Ballet, the Houston Ballet, the Dallas Ballet, Chicago Ballet, it went on and on and on. But we all had a, a morning rehearsal on, on stage. And when we got to the Alvin Ailey section, I walked on stage because I was I, um, I helped to produce it and I was also the production supervisor. And Alvin turned, looked at me and he says, oh my God. And Alvin was a big guy. He ran over, he picked me up and held me straight up in the air. And like people were laughing. It was, it was so, it was so joyous and so wonderful. And that's how, how I'll always remember him. Yeah. How full of joy and, and love and energy he was. So you lead me to asking you when you were talking about not going to clubs or anything like that, what kind of lifestyle did you have to maintain as a ballet dancer to be able to do all of this? Oh, you had to love like a monk. We danced a full day of rehearsals, maybe like 10 hours. And then a lot of the nights we'd have performances at night. And you did that six days a week. And on your day off, number one, you're so exhausted. You're trying to recover to do it another week, but you're doing your laundry, you're doing all these things. And it's like, who had the energy to do anything else? I mean, some people did, but I didn't. And on the good side and the bad side, I always took things very seriously. So it made me a good artist. But if somebody like said something that might be a little upsetting, I would take it too seriously at the same time, you know, 
I was very sensitive. Yeah. And were there certain choreographers who you found would be a little bit more likely to be insensitive for? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. <laughs> um, well, let me talk about the nice, the nicest ones first. I loved uh, Ailey. I loved Ruth Page in Chicago. Uh, for, she had a company then, that company had a million different names. It kept changing names, but it was the Chicago Ballet. That was a part of it. And she was she was anti-mame. I don't know how else to describe her. She lived in a, I believe it was a 14 room townhouse that overlooked Lakeshore Drive. And she had been married to a very wealthy attorney. She danced in Anna Pavlova's dance company as a young girl in, in, in a South American tour. And she was so much fun. She used to always have me over, and her favorite word was darling. Darling, you must come over and have dinner with me tonight. So one night I went over and had dinner with her. And we're sitting, seated in the dining room. Well, the dining room table sat like 16 people. So she had, she had sat at one end and I sat at the other. And she said, anything you want, just let me know. The Beulah, I think her name name was the main sure anyone just let her know i'll ring the bell feel this little bell so the maid would come in out a couple times serving us food and i said ruth don't you think it's a better idea if we were like sat next to each other darling that's a marvelous idea let's do that <laughs> so just i hope you don't mind but but after um dinner i have a friend coming over next from next door she's my next door neighbor you know i have to share this floor <laughs> a huge, huge building, like, you know, the Central Park West type of buildings. We're sitting in the living room and she's laying back on a chaise lounge, like the Queen of Sheba. <laughs> she was hilarious. And then the doorbell goes off and the maid goes and answers the door and she comes in. And Ruth, Ruth and I went up and greeted her and and uh, Ruth says, oh, this is my, my, my guest dancer for the Nutcracker, Lauren Surratt. And she, she says, um, hi, I'm Mrs. McCormick. And she shook my hand like she was a linebacker. So she comes in. She sits down for two seconds. She says, oh, darn, I have to go back to my apartment. I forgot something. And Ruth says, what's that, darling? And she says, I forgot my drink. She says, oh. Just, just tell Beulah, she'll make you whatever you want. She says, no, I like my martinis and I like them dry. So she comes in with, with this cup and you couldn't see through it, of course. And then she was also just hilarious and down to earth. And Ruth told me after she left that she just drank straight vodka and she didn't want anybody to know. So she would just be knocking it back all night. Yeah, yeah. But it really was like a scene out of Auntie Maine. And it was like that every time you went there, it was just fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Got along great with Jerome Robbins. Um, he and the people that work under him could be really nasty. Um, Tommy Abbott, who was his main assistant, who I also knew from New York City Ballet, was always nice to me. But the problem was, and it gets to being in Fiddler on the Roof, the problem was, is that if 
Jerome Robbins was nice to you and and Tommy was nice to you, somebody was going to get you. Because yeah. somebody yeah. was going to get you in his shows. And the, dan the dance captain was my thorn in the side. And after Broadway, and we went out on the national tour, he made my life miserable. Oh. To the point that I, yeah. I left the tour after a while, I couldn't take it anymore. So, I mean, no, it's showbiz. Let's see, I have my cheat sheet here. Who else did I dance? Oh, um, I loved Sir Frederick Ashton, who yeah. I danced for on Broadway in Fontaine and Rave on Broadway. It was their farewell performances. And uh, I was hired for this one particular ballet called Marguerite and Armand. It was one of the famous signature pieces of the Royal Ballet. And it was the most famous uh, ballet that the two of them did together. And again, I was hired when I was at School of American Ballet. Uh, we always had all these unbelievably famous people come and watch class from Mrs. Onassis to whoever. And um, one day an older man came and sat down in the chair at the beginning of class and he watched and I noticed him like really watching each boy in class in the in the um, advanced class we maybe had 16 boys something like that it was, it was not a big class maybe 20 but intermixed um famous dancers would also come and take our class the rev would be in the class a lot uh Bahonas. i think barishnikov came a few times but anyway this man was watching because you had to concentrate on doing your class so Afterwards, our teacher of that class was Stanley Williams, who was the main male teacher um, for the boys in school. And he said, this gentleman would, would like to speak to you and Charles after class about something. And it's okay. So we went outside the classroom and in the hallway. And he said, hi, my name is uh, Frederick Ashton, but you can call me Freddie. And I'm having an audition tomorrow for Fontaine and Raven Broadway. And I'm looking for um, a few young male dancers to dance in the ballet. And would, would you like to come to the audition? So we both did and we both got chosen. And I remember asking what I was going to do. And he said, well, you're going to partner Mar Margot Fontaine a little bit. And I think to myself, oh my God, I can't do that. It was just like so overwhelming to me. But you know, you get to rehearsal and she was as sweet as she could be. And it was it was easy. And I had a wonderful two weeks on Broadway at the Eurus Theater, which is now the Gershwin Theater, the home of Wicked. How does ballet change when we're doing it on a Broadway stage in versus something like City Center, which is more made? It was pretty much the same. I think the only thing that was weird about the Euros is it had only been open two years at that point. I don't really remember what the first production that was. There was a couple of big musicals that were in there before we went in, but the dressing rooms are like downstairs from where the stage is. And we performed in, uh, 
November into December, or maybe it was the end of November. Anyway, it was very cold. And they never figured out how to turn off the air conditioning in the wintertime in the dressing rooms. Now, for a major Broadway theater, not to be able to figure that out, I just don't know. But having cold dressing rooms for ballet dancers is not a way to make people happy, you know? So <laughs> that was the only difference is that we froze to death before every performance. Yeah. I, I'd love to ask, too, about another great performer, not a choreographer, but who you worked with as a student, which was Alexandra Danilova. You know, I had a dream about her last night. Really? Oh. Yes. I guess she's coming to to cheer me on. Actually, in the dream, I dreamt that I was in a ballet class, but as I am now, and the teacher demonstrates each combination before you do it at the bar. And like, for some reason, I didn't pay attention to who the teacher was, and we were like in a third or fourth combination, which is not logical, but this is how it was in the dream. So I looked over and it was Madame Janelleva. I think thought to myself, oh my gosh, still alive. I just always thought you would never die and would go on forever. I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking in the dream. And that's the way that I think of her. She's um, was absolutely fantastic. I loved a lot of my teachers at the school. Well really all of them, but she held a special place in my heart and she was a performer and she had done a couple of things on Broadway, at least I know one thing, was an old captain on Broadway. So one afternoon, it was probably the third or fourth class that day and we're in, we shared studios with the Juilliard School. School of American Valley was on one side and Juilliard was on the other. And those windows, uh, in that building or all the way at the very top near the ceiling, these very high ceilings. So when you're in class, you're like in the twilight zone. You ne could never see outside, maybe a few tree branches. And it was all fluorescent lighting. So after you were in there all day long, you know, you just wanted <sighs> to go to sleep. Yeah. And it was hard not to yawn. So. And Madame Danilo was, I think we're, it was a character dance class. And my partner at the school was Leslie Brown. And I chose her because she only weighed 98 pounds and was very friendly. And your audience will know her name. She starred in the movie, The Turning Point opposite Baryshnikov and was nominated for an Oscar. But anyway, back to school. We're getting ready to go across the floor and Madame Danilova stood of course in the front of the class up against the mirror and she nodded to the pianist to begin and he hit like the first couple of notes and I yawned and very dramatically she yelled stop and she looked at me and she worked all the way across the front of the mirror to where the pianist was sitting Everybody was trying to figure out what she was doing. Dragged a folding chair all the way back to the center of the room, stood on top of the of the chair, and she had these romantic tutus, she had a romantic tutu on, and those are the like the little soft chiffer, uh, chiffon skirts that went under the knee, and she lifted up and she held it. And she says, "Fat darling, I bore you," and I'm like having a stroke, thinking. 
okay, Loretz, you're being kicked out of the school of American Ballet. What's wrong with you? So she's silent for a minute. And she got down off the chair and stood and looked at me again. So, oh, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Uh, Madame Danilova. That will never happen again. And she gave me, she was trying not to bust out laughing. She gave me this big smile, but was like suppressing it and this wink. And she drugged the drug the chair all the way back across the room, came back to the center again. And then she said to the pianist, you may begin. And I just loved it. It was so dramatic. And she loved it too. She was, she was giving a performance for me. So I do want to ask if at any point doing, doing ballet, you've had some sort of mishap, either you've forgotten something or on stage, on stage. Dancing the premiere of this ballet in New York at some theater. And I had this, um, I, was, I was really well known for my high jumps. I was a really high jumper. That was my thing. And I was doing these high jumps across the floor. And I hit like, it was like a wet spot or an oily spot. And I went down. And it was this whole segment of big high jumps. I mean, you just, you couldn't fall down. And having had had modern dance training, I rolled up into a ball and rolled around and went up into an arabesque and went on with my leaps. And the audience applauded. They thought it was the most original choreography they ever saw. So I said to a friend of mine in the audience afterwards, I said, did you notice that I fell? And he said, no, where? And I said, like, when I went down, I tumbled over and came up in the arabesque. He said, oh, no, that was my favorite part of the choreography <laughs> so I thought it was a disaster and the audience didn't know so there's that years of being on stage you learn how to cover and so has there ever been have you ever been injured in a more serious way I was on tour it's one of the even before I went to Europe I always had a side job because I didn't have wealthy parents and I always had to make my own money so I was dancing with, I think it was called the New York Dance Ensemble. And we were booked for like five days. And it was either when, when I was out of school or it wasn't a problem at school. So we went on this tour to the Midwest, uh, I think Detroit and, and someplace in Kansas. And the place in Kansas was really strange. We had a dance at a university and the the theater also doubled as a church and it had hard marble floors and we're dancing ballet on it and i did something that was basically basically a, such a basic movement like going down in a grand plie on stage and my ankle popped oh. and i literally had ripped off my foot my the next morning my my ankle and foot were the size of a bas basketball and i'm not kidding so when i finally got to a doctor back in new york he says your foot's hanging on by one ligament so on it and i said how long is this going to last and i went to dr mcdonald he was new york city ballet's doctor and a fantastic person and, and doctor he said oh, it's probably going to take at least two months so 
I said, is there anything I can do? And he says, well, you know, salt water is good for it and blah, blah, blah. So I put the cast on and I thought, I'm going to go to the beach. And I like really concentrated on my mind that I was going to heal fast. So within three weeks, not two months, my leg really started itching and I took the hanger like you can and shove it down. I don't know if they still have casts like that these days, but I was shoving it down there. So I called the doctor's office and I explained um, what was happening and and doctor uh, said, uh, come in. So I came in and I explained to him what was happening. He says, well, it sounds like your leg's healed. Wow. He says, I'm going to cut it off. So he cut it off and I'm sitting up on the on the bench in the doctor's office. And I said, can I walk on it? And he says, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> so I stood down. I picked up the cast and I walked out of the office and looked back and he was just smiling, shaking his head. And he said, I don't believe you healed this quickly. Yeah. Uh, uh, the guest dancer and choreographer for the Los Angeles Music Center Opera um, that performs at the Music Center uh, downtown in the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, where for years they did the Oscars and all the Broadway shows go there. But we couldn't get into the theater. I guess it was for maybe the first couple of previews of the opera that we were doing. And so we had to rehearse at uh, USC, University of Southern California. And being opera, they don't care about dancing at all in opera companies. They put us in music rooms, of course, for the opera singers. Well, it has concrete floors. And I really injured my neck. Um, Again, doing all my high jumps and everything, dancing on concrete. So, I mean, I, I still have a neck problem because of that. And then we opened for a couple of previews at the Shrine Auditorium. Then um, after the first two, we finished our previews at the Dorothy Chandler. Yeah. So I'd love to ask of all the great choreographers that you have worked with, is there is there one who you feel your body sort of lends itself to their style most of all? I mean, I really like dancing Ruth Page's choreography um, because it's just fun. It was very musical and you could just lose yourself in... Uh, like uh, Mr. Balanchine's choreography, I had a chance to dance his, his ballet, the Minkus Potatois. And my body also loved that technique, but it was also very difficult. You know, it was some dancing is kind of like more fun and easier to do, even though it's difficult. And then some choreography is just like really, really, really difficult. You know, I mean, it takes a great deal of stamina to do, and I would put him in that category. Yeah. So I would love to ask if you had the choreographic instinct during this time when you were a dancer. I did. And it also, a couple of years, I, um, I used to write a lot of poetry. And right before I, I went to Chicago, I think it was the first time, I said, I started to like speak the words and move around to it. So 
I told Ruth about this. She says, oh, darling, that's marvelous. I used to do that in the 20s or the 30s, whenever she said. She says, I'll show you my photos. And there's these photos of her, like, standing in these poses, reciting E.E. E. Cummings and dancing. Oh, she says, we must give a performance. So one of her rooms in her gorgeous uh, home, uh, off Nareb and all the, every room had a different theme. One was the African room, and one was the ballet room, and one was the French room, and it was done to death. It was incredible. And she first one that was in Chicago to came see me dance, and anybody that was in the dance world that was visiting Chicago, and I got there and I did my poetry and my and my movement with it, and I think I did maybe three or four pieces. And much to my surprise, they loved it. So afterwards, she says, darling, you must start your own dance company. So I, I went back to New York and I did. And uh, I called it a dance celebration. Um, I wanted something very compact so I could easily travel and perform in a lot of places. And it was myself, I was the only dancer. And I had a phenomenal opera singer who I also knew from St. Louis, but um, she performed with many opera companies around the country, the Dallas Opera, and was also uh, a singer for Leonard Bernstein in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on Broadway. And she was my singer. And then we had a concert pianist uh, who played at the New York City Opera. So I had two other great artists join me on stage and I did like an hour's program. A small section was the poetry and dancing, but I choreographed um, these different ballets. And then I also gave Elaine her own section to sing. And it was just a wonderful affair. And we toured all over the place. Um, I ended up in Paris uh, with my company. I was chosen to represent the United States at the International Choreographic Competitions. And I won a special prize and I got called from the White House. It was, it was the president and it was, it was like a really wild time because this is just like an idea that I had that became something kind of big, you know? Yeah. yeah. And what was it like to get that call from the president? Well, I thought it was a joke. Oh. Because my room, my roommate answered the phone and and he said, you got a phone call. It's the White House. I was like, yeah, right. And I was. <laughs> so I would love to ask about what it was like to be gay during that time as a dancer. It was never an issue um, with me. Um, only felt discriminated against maybe once or twice. And the people were obviously idiots. But yeah. it actually seemed more like a plus to me being gay. Um, when I was at Harkness, um, I didn't know that I was gay when I first came to New York. I had a strong inkling, but I wasn't sure. And I always remember I was waiting for the bus. Um, Harkness was, uh, the headquarters is in a mansion on 75th Street between uh, 5th Avenue and Madison. And it was this townhome. It was 
gorgeous. And I'm getting off the subject, but when you walked in, Mrs. Harkness being so wealthy, she had this, this case and it had this revolving urn in it. Go, it was solid gold. And it had butterflies that opened and closed and it revolved around. And it was studded with diamonds and rubies and emeralds. You couldn't believe it. So anyway, but I lived on the West Side. And I went to the bus stop, I guess it was on 79th Street and waited for the Crosstown bus. And this dancer from the company who actually choreographed a piece on me when I was at Harkness uh, was waiting at the bus stop. And he was like having adult dancer talk to me. And my ears were like, you know, being a student, like were completely open. He said, he said, he says, you know, you're like a, you're like a, unpolished jewel just ready to blossom and I had no idea what he's talking about but you know, he kept the conversation going he says well you know it's it's kind of hard being in the in the company he says I'm like the only one or two straight dancers in the company he says it's so much easier to be a dancer if you're gay I don't know how true that is today, but that always stuck in my mind. It's like, oh, this isn't a negative thing to be gay. Yeah. It's a positive thing in New York. And, you know, coming from this little small town, you know, I went to 12 years of Catholic school where everything was like repressed and all that. And to be in New York, I mean, I was just like a bird taking the flight. I was so thrilled to be here and to feel that acceptance. And um, actually the time you asked me about when I broke my foot and it was a story that I left out that after I had the injury, they took me of course to the local hospital and the physician knowing that we're from a dance company came out and says, oh, well, I don't operate on people of your kind. It's like, it's like what is he talking about? And the director of the dance company was there. And he says, he means because he assumes we're gay. And I was just stunned, you know. Yeah. And then much better, I came back and went to New York City Ballet's uh, doctor. But um, I mean, there's a few in instances, but whenever they happen, it's just like, oh, this person's just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. It, just, it's, it just isn't part of the flow of anything on on Broadway or dance, you know. It makes absolutely no difference. Yeah. And like I said, it's actually a good thing, you know. There's a camaraderie there, I would say. Yeah. So so you've done a lot of print print work for magazines and all of that. Yes. Uh -huh. What has it been like to do all of these shoots for covers and well the actual shoot I love, they're so easy compared to performing. You just you stand yeah. there and you you know you know your light and and you have a good sense of what makes you look good um i was on several dance magazine covers dance pages and different magazines but i made a whole career for several years when i was living in los angeles and was uh, working at the la opera uh, i became a fitness model because it started bodybuilding and and looked pretty good, I have to say myself. Uh, I wish I still looked like that, but 
the preparation for it was horrendous oh. because I mean literally you had to look perfect and yeah. they really didn't airbrush back then very seldom did they so you know your abs had to be perfect and you had to be tanned and it was just a lot of work and then afterward by the time you got to the photo shoot you're like so thrilled it's like oh I'm here I don't have to suffer anymore and you just had a blast and I became friends with the photographers. One of the photographers from Muscle and Fitness Magazine um, became a really good friend of mine. She was so much fun. And her name was Paula Crane. And I really was shot by the best photographers in the business. The Mike Navo, I think his name was, was the photographer for Iron Man Magazine. And he was just a brilliant photographer. And then I think, came so popular in the magazines they would send me out to other photographers and those I have like a series of, of black and white dance photographs with a girl that you may have seen a lot of people know and those are shot by a photographer named Bob Gardner who was very very expensive photographer and worth it those photographs are gorgeous that he did and they, I did a, I think an eight page spread for Men's Fitness and they sent me to an, some other photographer and that's really a very fun experience. It was like no pressure. The pressure I had was I put on myself to look the best that I possibly could. Yeah. So speaking of fitness and you doing fitness, I was, I'm very curious about your exercise video, Lawrence Claritz's Total Stretch. So yes. how did that come about? as an idea? Um, well, because I'd become a name in, in the fitness magazines, you know, back then magazines were like a really big deal. Yeah. And, and muscle and fitness had a circulation of 12 million people. And they also sold exercise videos in the back of the magazine. So Joe Weider, who was the famous godfather of all of those magazines and the publisher, um said oh you ought to do a video sometime and within the same time period oh. two other people mentioned it to me so i started like thinking you know i should do a stretch video and the other person was saying the same thing to me so i started working on it and i came back to your to new york uh from la to have some final discussions with uh that person who was helping to organize the shoot. And I was friends with Chris Cohen, who was Alexander Cohen's son, the Broadway producer. He was like the rival with David Merrick for years and years. Um, Alex mainly did straight plays that he brought from London, but he did musicals like Baker Street. A lot of them were hits. But um, Anyway, his son was, and I had developed a good friendship and Alex had sent me to Chris because Chris was doing two children's musical for video that he was involved with. <clears throat> and I, I starred in one of them as Donald the Donkey. I choreographed both of them. And anyway, I happened to mention that, that um, I was in, it was the same time I was doing the total stretching. I said I was in New York having discussions for this uh, 
this uh, exercise video idea. And he says, well, what is it? And he says, well, I love it. He says, you know, we just finished Cindy Crawford's video and it sold millions and millions of copies. We'd love to do you. So I went back and talked to the original people and he said, yeah, he's gonna do a much better job than we're gonna do. So I signed with Chris and they did a fantastic production. I got two dancer friends of mine to stretch with me and I put together this whole routine. I really worked on it carefully. I wanted to make it really instructional and and something that would be safe for anybody to do and to really aid their lives. You know, I'm really about helping people. Yeah. Yeah, it was very know. successful. It sold a zillion <laughs> copies. And I I used to have fun with friends of mine because it was in Borders, books and music, which you probably never heard of. But it, it was a big deal back 20 years ago. So, you know, it was like Barnes and Noble kind of place. And we would always go there and we'd, we'd see the video on the shelf, right? So we'd always move it up to like the top place and we'd walk away and laugh. And <laughs> the showcase video of the week. <laughs> and I would love to ask about, this goes back to Total Stretch. Um, you choreographed a few sort of exercise things for other bodybuilders, including Arnold Schwarzenegger. So what was that like to work with him on that? Um, I didn't work with Arnold. I worked with other Mr. Olympias. That's their biggest contest. I worked with Lou Ferrigno. I won't discuss that. Most uh, of the people I worked with were terrific. Yeah. And you really had to figure out how to combine dance and bodybuilding posing. So what I would do is I would give them a routine. Uh, Rich Kasperi, who's a, a major bodybuilding star back then, I would give him moves um, that no bodybuilder would ever have thought of doing within the context of what they're doing. They were like little bits of dance within the routine and the audiences would go crazy and they'd win contests. I mean, people would be so thrilled. So Rich Gasperi and I would end up on covers of magazines together and there with my dancers' bodies, somewhat buff, but not like those guys posing with them. <laughs> it, was, it was a very good experience. I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. So I'd love to ask about a few of the movies that you did in the 70s as a dancer. And one of those was Legs. So with Gwen Verdon, I'd be curious to know about her. Yes. And that experience. Um, well, that's a good story. <laughs> I had auditioned for Bob Fosse for a couple of times on Broadway. I never remember exactly for what. I think it turns out like I auditioned for him a couple of times, and he always came me to the end of the audition. He'd point his finger at me. He says, "You know, I really like you. You've got something." He says, "I'm going to find a place for you, but once again, you're too short." <laughs> this time around again but he's i will find you a job i promise you so it's like you know you hear this in show business all of your life it's yeah. like yeah it'd be nice it would if it happens but whatever so it's like a year later my phone rings and there's this well-known casting company and they introduced themselves and they said are you available uh 
to dance in a movie that's being filmed at Radio City Music Hall. It's called Legs and it stars Gwen Verdon. And I said, yes, I said, when is the audition? And he said, well, you don't have to audition. Oh. I just thought, well, that's so strange. So he says, show up, show up at Radio City Music Hall. It was like two days later. And, and here's a phone number to call the night before and, and to get your time to show up. So I said, okay, well, thank you very much. So I show up at Radio City and they fitted me at Radio City for, for a costume. I was supposed to be like one of the guy Radio City dancers, which they called the New Yorkers. They were like singer dancers, I guess. But instead of being called a rockette, they called you the New Yorkers. So I saw like maybe six other dancing guys that I knew knew there. And they were all Broadway dancers like I was. And it's like, how the and they were talking, they were talking about their audition. It's like, how in the hell did I get here? So I told this one guy that I knew pretty well, I said. I said, you know, I never went to the audition. He says, yeah, we never saw you there. I said, I have no idea how I got this job. So we're sitting at lunch and they served us lunch on, on big, long, long card tables on stage. And most of the, the, the star talent uh, went back to their trailers or their rooms in Radio City, whatever they had. Not Gwen Verdon, she came and sat with the dancers. So she happened to be sitting right next to me and the conversation at the table came up again about the audition and all of that. So Gwen's listening to everything and, you know, she was just a dancer, you know, she's like Cheetah Rivera, you know, she's right there with you. She's not like playing the star or anything. She's a dancer. She loves being a dancer and wants to hear what the dancers are saying. So, so again, I said, to the other dancers sitting there, I said, you know, I, I don't know how I got the job. I never auditioned. And she said, I do. <laughs> and like everybody's all ears because it's Gwen Verdon. And, and she says, I called Bobby and said, I needed, we, I needed one more dancer. And he says, I have the right person for you. She said, I, he, he gave me your name and phone number and I give it to casting. So that's how I ended up in legs. Yeah. They're the best kind of jobs that you don't have to audition for. <laughs> and they're just given to you. Had me take my shirt off. And it, I was so embarrassed, you know, as young dancers, like I was always forced to stand out whether I wanted to or not. I was basically a shy kid from St. Louis. So, <laughs> but it was fun. I always remember when the movie played on television, I get this, we had like phone services back then. I called my phone service and he said, your friend Jerry called. So I called Jerry Mitchell back. He was a friend of mine. He says, I saw you, I saw you with your shirt off and legs <laughs> last night. He says, you're great. So it's like, oh, I guess people liked it. Yeah, yeah. And you also did the movie of Annie around this time? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember which one was first. I think Annie was first. We had some rehearsals before, but the day of, um, I can't remember how long we were booked for. It was maybe like two or three days. 
we got into Radio City and, and Joe Layton, who directed the dance segments, didn't like the way the choreography was fitting in Radio City. So on the spot, he changed everything. And he rehearsed the song with us to make sure, because it was pre-recorded and he wanted to make sure we had the lip sync down. So, you know, he's, he sat in the lobby at Radio City and went over the song with us over and over again until he was confident. And we filled the aisles of Radio City and we did the song, Welcome to the Movies. I think the first part of the song is, let's go to the movies and Anne Reinking is singing it. And then when she and Daddy Warbucks come into the theater, it becomes Welcome to the Movies. I think the boys are singing Welcome to the Movies. And we're doing these turns and movements with their flashlights. And that's why you see on camera. You see me for like a half a second. But it was a really fun experience. And the director was um, John Houston, the famous film director. So we're all like impressed that John Houston was going to be the director. And we couldn't wait to meet him. And he was a very old man by then. And he would come and sit in the last row of Radio City, whatever call time was, let's say it was seven in the morning, and go to sleep. And he would sleep all day long and would wake up a couple of times and say, oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess he was exhausted from filming. I mean, I don't know the whole story. I think we're towards the end of the shoot. And so Joe Layton really did everything. And I really took my hat off to him because he was fantastic. I really enjoyed working with him. And we went into overtime. Of, we, we shot many more days of that. I think it went into a second week. Oh, yeah. And you had this um, brief involvement with Lee Theodore and the American Dance Machine, which I love. Oh, yes. There's a person I loved also. Well, I was at Harkness House, and of course, I knew all those people from when I was there. And they turned the school, um, they still had some kind of school, but it wasn't anything to do with the Harkness Ballet anymore. They offered classes. And I think Mrs. Harkness had, had passed by then, and she left a great deal of money to hospitals, and uh, they kept the school going. And she left money to like, I guess, help um, organizations in need, like, you know, dance organizations. So they gave the American dance machine free space at Harkness House. So I also needed free space for a dance celebration. And they said, sure, we'll give it to you. So so happens in the same room uh, I think it was called the Red Room. It was on like the third floor. And I was in there with my, the opera singer and the pianist and we were rehearsing and, and walks this little woman kind of dressed like a man, um, watched the whole thing. And she applauded at the end. She said, oh my God, this is marvelous. This is marvelous. I love your dancing. She says, she says, when are you finished rehearsing? And I said, we have like another half an hour because she was ready to get in there with the American Dance Machine. And I said, well, we have another half an hour. So she said, can I talk to you afterwards for a few minutes? And I said, sure. And she said, she explained who she was and, and I liked her immediately. She was so down to earth. 
And she told me about the American Dance Machine and how they're recreating great um, dance numbers from Broadway shows over the, the decades. And would I like to come and be a guest artist with her company? And I said, yes, I'd love to. So I, I, I said, so I'm going to Paris with my dance company and I'll be back uh, in about a week. And she says, well, call me. And, she says, and, and we'll talk. So she asked me to come to Harkness house and she just started dancing with me. She just wanted to get right into it. And she says, she says, okay, well, this is what I want you to do. I, I'm going to choreograph um, or restage a couple of, of the, the ballet dream numbers from like Oklahoma and Carousel and that kind of thing. And I'll rehearse it with you and then I'll put the girl in with you. And it's like, okay, this is going to be like one of these Broadway replacement things where they like whip it together. And it's like, hello, you're on stage, which is pretty much what it was. So I learned the choreography very quickly and I had one rehearsal with the girl. I'm really sorry, I don't remember her name. So she said, okay, well, come to the theater tomorrow, which was Sunday. I don't remember if they did matinees. It was either after the matinee or, or they were dark on Sunday. So we rehearsed on stage and I was all excited. And she said, okay, well, you're gonna be uh, making your debut, whatever the next performance was, whether it's Monday or Tuesday, but it was right away. And the very next day, they posted the closing notice, like immediate closing. So, and knowing now what I know, um, she was always like struggling to get them the, to raise the money to keep it open. And I'm sure she, in her mind, she was just gonna be able to raise the money one more time and keep it open. And she was putting like new people in all the time, like myself and different ideas, you know, to have a reason for people to keep coming back to see it, but it closed and open. So I always said I did two and a half shows on Broadway. <laughs> that would be the half. <laughs> I never got on stage. So the American Dance Machine is of course all about recreating famous dances just for listeners who might not know. So I would love to ask you how you sort of keep notes of dances in case you want to recreate them. When I choreograph Boobs the Musical, um, which was, it ran for nearly a, a year in New York and it was very well received and has played all over the world since. And the choreography got like really uh, great reviews in New York. I was so proud of that. But I knew because I was going to have to go out and set other companies, I took the script and I would write the steps along with the words of the song. And when I'm choreographing a song that somebody's singing, that's actually how I create the dance as I'm listening to the words. So in a sense, I'm having the dancers kind of like create the words and movement or work against the idea that's going on or something. It's like always an inspiration for me. So I just wrote, you know, the dance steps along the words of the song. And I mean, I just kept very meticulous notes. Yeah. And um, I think you're allowed to, to film like 15 or 20 minutes of the show according to the union rules. And it opened twice in New York. I mean, 
it transferred. It opened at the Triad and then it transferred to Dylan's Theater in Midtown. And because we had two different opening nights, we had like two different segments of filming. So I sort of like have half the show on these bits and pieces of video. And of course, they'd always, they would always tape the dance numbers because they're the highlights. So I even have it on video for some of the major numbers. So that's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's really different these days because you can videotape stuff where you didn't do it so much back in my early dancing days. Yeah. So you were mentioning earlier that when you went to work at the Hamburg Ballet, you weren't going to the Paris Opera, but how did you end up? Because I know you did eventually work at the Paris Opera. I worked with them, as I said earlier, at the Metropolitan Opera and at Kennedy Center before I ever went to Hamburg. But interesting you should ask that because Violet Verdi, who convinced me to join the Hamburg Ballet, she says, well, I'm going to be in Europe myself. I'm taking over directorship of the Paris Opera. Oh. So whenever I had free breaks, I would hop in the train and do an overnight train to Paris and hang out with Violette. And I was like the king of the Paris Opera when I walked in there because I was with the director of the opera. And it was so much fun and had a wonderful time. She was like a little angel on my shoulder in my ballet career. She did a lot for me. Yeah. Plus gave me a lot of confidence in myself, which all dancers need. And that is where I ended part one of my conversation with the wonderful Lawrence Loritz. Make sure to tune back in tomorrow for part two.